0: This winter, join the Washington Post in its fight against hunger, homelessness, and poverty with a contribution to Post Helping Hand. To learn more and donate, visit PosthelpingHand.com.
1: Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with RetroPod, a show about the past rediscovered. Today, let's go to Iran, to Valentine's Day, 1979. These were tense times in the country. The powerful Shah, propped up by the Americans, had fled a month earlier. The long-exiled Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini was back. And at the U.S. Embassy, Kenneth Krauss, a 22-year-old Marine on a security tour, was returning from breakfast. In an interview, Krauss told me that there was a sense in the air that something was coming down. At 10.28 a.m., it did. Gunshots, fires, explosions. The embassy was under attack by militants. But this is not the siege the world remembers. The one that would lead to more than 50 Americans being held hostage for 444 days. That's right, nine months before the world witnessed what would become known as the Iran hostage crisis, Krauss had experienced his own crisis firsthand. Krauss grew up in Pennsylvania, not far from New Jersey. He joined the Marines in 1975 as an air traffic controller, then re-enlisted and moved to embassy duty. His first assignment was in Cyprus, but when an opportunity came up in Iran, Krauss jumped at it. He was a history buff. Ancient Persia sounded awesome. Kraus arrived in a suit and tie. He was quickly ordered to change into a flak jacket. Someone handed him a helmet. This wasn't going to be an easy assignment. Kraus and the other dozen Marines on security were briefed on increasing threats from guerrillas and other radicals. And when the siege began, They were vastly outmanned and outgunned. Krauss and others tried to hold their positions in the embassy restaurant. When things got desperate, Krauss made an offer. He and the other Marines would surrender and turn over their equipment if the non-combatants were released. It worked. After the civilians got out, Krauss and the others collected their equipment, pistols, shotguns, radios, but instead of handing them over, they destroyed them. Kraus hid ammunition in pistachio ice cream. That did not please the radicals. Kraus was shot and woke up handcuffed to a hospital bed. Then he was taken to prison and tortured. A week later, after a 20-minute trial, he was sentenced to death by a kangaroo court. After the trial, Kraus was taken back to his cell. And when the guards came for him again, he thought they were taking him to his execution. But instead, he wound up in a room with the Red Cross. There was a window, the first time he had seen light in days. And then an embassy official appeared in front of him like a mirage, telling him a deal had been made for his release. The young Marine broke down crying. Today, Krause is in his 60s and a retired police detective in Roswell, Georgia. He swears like a sailor, and he told me stories from his eight brutal days in captivity with equal parts sadness and gallows humor. But he's not without scars from the ordeal. When Krauss returned home to the United States in 1979, he got a hero's welcome. His family greeted him at the airport, his sisters and mother embracing him. He lifted his mother up, squeezing her even as all the hugging shot pain through his body. He said, it was the best pain I could ever hope for in my life. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.
0: Contributions to Post Helping Hand go directly to services run by beneficiaries Bright Beginnings and Street Village and So Others Might Eat that provide shelter, food, education, and other services to those less fortunate in the Washington, D.C. region. Learn more at posthelpinghand.com.